back in New Zealand, Byron. Well, I am. Well, you are. I, well, I wasn't. I wasn't there. I was but still recovering at the time. This was still a matter of... When was it? Two months ago now. I'm racking my brains to try and work this out. It was in June. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And we're just about... To, we're getting into the start August, of August. Start of August now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is uh, the first podcast you heard from uh, Joseph Peter, who I spent the vast majority of my time in New Zealand with. Uh, but this second podcast is with a chap called Curran Ireland. Uh, in fact, he is going to be here in the office in just a couple of days' time because by just this weird quirk, uh, he's doing some work uh, with his company, which you're going to hear about in this podcast, uh, helping people experience hunting opportunities around the world, particularly Scotland and Canada. Um, youngsters from New Zealand, which is predominantly the people that go through his courses. And one of the estates that he works with in Scotland is just up the road from us here. So he's coming to visit the people who, who he's sent over, and he's going to stop past, and uh, we're going to do another podcast with him. But I think it would probably be for his podcast rather than our podcast, because he, and we talk about it, I think we do talk about it, do we, Daryl? Oh, about what? his new podcast? Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. Yep. The uh, Educated uh, The Educated Hunter. 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 Um, so he has, along with um, his a colleague of his, Matt Gibson, has started their own podcast, which you'll also hear about on this show. So yeah, I think we're going to be role reversal in a couple of days' time when we, we go on a show for him but in our office in Scotland. <laughs> uh, they do, in fact, have an Instagram, and it is The Educated Hunter. There you go. And I the podcast as well is The Educated Hunter, so you just need to search for that. The same way as you would consume ours, and uh, I, th- I haven't looked, but I need to look at my phone, but they are a few episodes in now. Yeah, they're a good few episodes in. Yeah. I, I when have... it was recorded, I think there was three out. I'm a little bit behind. I need to catch up, but certainly the first two were a good listen, and uh, having spent a bit of time with Curran myself, uh, I have every faith that if you like the sort of ethos and thinking that's in our podcast, you're probably going to like the direction that they're taking in theirs because I think we we share a lot of similar thoughts, as you will find out in this show. While I'm still talking about New Zealand, um, if you go and pick up this month's Sporting Rifle magazine, not only will you see a picture of me on the front cover that Daryl kindly took for me a couple of weeks ago, uh, in there you will also see the first bit of writing about my hunting experience in New Zealand, and a few pictures which actually haven't even been up on, on Instagram or any social No, yet. they've not, actually. Um, so you you can get a wee taster of what my trip was like and my time with Joseph in Sporting Rifle this month. And I, pick up a copy. I edited the pictures. So I have had a, a, role, a role to play, to play in the... I'm still editing. There is 1,000, over 1,500 pictures from the New Zealand trip. That was after getting rid of the and that garbage. was that was getting that was after getting rid of about six hundred pictures that you know are just useless and then out of those one thousand five hundred there'll probably be six hundred different pictures because often there's sets of five or six pictures that are very similar but they're with a maybe a slightly different focus or or um, different angle so uh, you will see in there a picture of my rather lovely and very very old about thirteen and a half year old bull tar and that is in sporting rifle. I'm just 
pausing and admiring him because I actually got an email back from the taxidermist just a couple of days ago, uh, just confirming the prices for the skulls and the, and the skins and the few bits and pieces that I'm having done. So I'm very excited about having that and then getting it back home so I can lie the skin in front of my fire. <laughs> yeah. It's going to make a nice new rug. Now, uh, one other thing which I reference in this podcast, which is, I said, and Daryl reminded me of this today while he was editing, uh, that I was going to go and have a look and see what the status of Himalayan tar was across the world. And I actually did it for the, this article that I'm referencing, that I, that I wrote in Sporting Rifle. And the IUCN uh, have actually graded Himalayan tar in their native range, which is where I was and recorded a podcast some six months ago, maybe a bit more than six months ago yeah, in Nepal. Yeah, about that. Uh, which is that sort of region there. And it's not just Nepal, the, the surrounding countries as well. You'll find Himalayan tar there. Uh, but it's been graded as near threatened. And by country, they don't have very good statistics for populations, but it's in the hundreds. Whereas in New Zealand, it's in the thousands. It's been estimated, I was actually just on the phone to Joseph this morning, that the best estimate that they have is around 30,000 in New Zealand. But you can understand, Nepal, how it's almost impossible for them to get very accurate numbers because the range is so big oh, and huge. because of the altitude as well. You don't have people just walking around. Uh, your helicopters restrict the movement around there, so yeah. it's very hard. But I can believe you know, the way that they work out wildlife population is they take a segment that I guess they can or... Um, live information from people on the ground, and then they and put they that. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, but uh, the the environment up there is obviously also much harsher than yeah, in yeah. New Zealand. Although, um, you know, the con- the conditions in terms of weather fronts can be pretty horrendous in New Zealand. It's at way lower altitude, and there's a lot more um, food possibility for, for cover and quality. Of what food. do they eat? What's their main source of food? You know, Joseph just told me today exactly what it is. It's some sort of alpine scrub. I can't remember exactly what he said that they particularly eat, uh, particularly eat, but they will they will eat pretty much anything if they have to, mm. uh, and that's one of the reasons that they cause a bit of habitat damage as well. That's cool. Well, um, if you have if well for our listeners that aren't out with the UK, um, you'll may have seen on the news that we're having extraordinarily good weather for the UK, and it's been an extended. Uh, period of good weather. It's been Long three months now, three four yeah. months. To the extent they even got hosepipe bans down south. And uh, what's what one cool thing that's come out of it is they're actually seeing a lot of um, old settlements in fields in crops. Yep. Uh, so they're and also with reservoirs, which isn't really a good thing, draining. They're also finding old settlements that would have been flooded to make way for the reservoir. But many people forgot it even yeah. existed. Yeah. So that's uh, quite a little interesting in- insight into our history. The downside of it is that we have a huge amount of uh, fires going on across the country, not, not just our country. Europe as well. Greece. Europe as well, Greece, but that was, uh, I think, a massive arson attack. It was, but it was a wildfire. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, Sweden, they're tackling um, a yep. huge number of fires right now. So there is a, an issue. I don't think currently in the UK there's any raging, but in the previous three weeks there has been. Yeah, we've lost lots and lots of uh, Merland over the last couple of weeks. And I would say that, if not all of them, 99% of them were started either deliberately or by um, carelessness. I was just having this discussion this morning, and I don't think any of the fires that, that happened here were just a pure accident, like a, I, a piece of glass or something that had I, been left. I think it, it was all like cigarette butts it's, and barbecues. It's, it's and, hot here, but it's not... Like when I lived in Australia, it's not that kind of heat where you can believe that grass would just 
combust combust and burn it it has not been hot enough i don't think for just grass to just combust or a piece of glass to magnify well you say that but some i actually saw a picture and it was through uh it was a seat in a land rover oh and, okay and, yeah and that seat had started to burn and so it, obviously just the angle of the sun at a certain time of day had magnified it through <laughs> two pieces of glass and it started to burn the seat of this old land rover so be very careful where you park your car well they had the problem with the, the shard in london when they first built it, they're reflecting. reflecting and melting the cars on the street. <laughs> and I think they had to put up um, something over the windows. Uh, it must be like a you know a screen over the windows or something to stop the, it reflecting quite as much. But I remember someone's jag had basically melted on the, the street in front. <laughs> that would upset you a bit. Yeah, this was a few years ago. If, if people are wondering what the shard is in London, it's a skyscraper in the middle of London all made of glass. Apparently, this weather has been very good for insects. I, I can and believe moths it. and butterflies too. I, I, I last night or the night before I was driving at night in fact it was during the weekend and the amount of moths and butterflies not, not butterflies moths I saw driving um, was a l- large number in my light actually now that you mention it I've chucked more moths out my house this summer than I can remember for the last couple of years butterflies been good and it's been uh, pretty good for the bees as well my bees are still very happy right now although I believe down south too hot sometimes. I can believe that as well. For the bees. Yeah, it's been it's been good here. I've but you, you had some reports of some of the best harvests of honey yes, for years. Yes, from a few people I've spoken to, they've had the best best harvests they've they've ever had. Um, I've got, now I've now got three hives, um, and uh, they're bringing in pollen still, lots and lots. I actually, we had a taste of some of the honey the other day, um, because they're all relatively new hives, and uh, there was a little bit of comb that they had... Uh, started making and it was in the wrong place and I had to move it and uh, there was a little bit of honey on it and we all tried it. It was rather good. It was good, wasn't it? I've got no idea where they're bringing it in from though. It's many different colours. Do you know what else is really cool? The amount of beekeepers that are listeners. We've had, we've had messages, quite a few messages from our listeners, who are you, um, that are uh, either keep bees, kept them in the past or keeping them now. It's been really, really cool to see you know, all the messages we've been getting. We have also introduced some new additions to our i was going to say to the house it's not really in the vicinity around the office here because we stocked for the first time in many years our pond yep it's it's a uh, quite a big pond it's about 20 it's meters maybe, long 25 30 meters i, I think long. it's about 25 ish mm. yeah 25 about to 30 meters, meters long wide. yeah five meters wide and the deepest part is about chest height and when we uh where our offices is next door, we've probably mentioned this before, but next door to our parents' house. Uh, and when we built this house, um, my dad and I thought the family basically built the, uh, built this house, I can't remember how many years ago now, eight, nine years ago. That must be more than that. Maybe more. Because it was while we were still in high school. No, I was at university. No, definitely not. Were you? Because yeah, I was I in was, high school I was when we moved. But in any case, it was a little while ago. We built this pond as sort of part of the property. And one of the reasons for Kind of it, through necessity, it was kind of a bog anyway. <laughs> it was a bit wet there. But funny enough, when uh, when my dad approached uh, the planning permission and explained this is what they wanted to do, they were absolutely delighted. Because all of the, the rainwater from the roof of the house, as well as the drainage and the sort of the 
the property surrounding all runs off straight into the pond and into the pond and fills the pond up as well as being fed by a sort of siphon from the so little it, stream it, and then running back into it it has a constant flow all year round it's not very often it ever stops and it think, never stops and even when it's really cold it was still kind of trickling yeah, through but um like Byron said because we the entire roof of the property all goes in there as well fresh rainwater and the pond without really doing a huge amount to it it's just full of life there's so much stuff in it there's uh shrimp in it there's uh, like water beetles like an, an inch long yeah um there's well we used to have we used to have fish we've had fish in it before we've had trout in it before uh we've had goldfish in it before uh but over the years the heron has just absolutely hammered them um i think in one sitting i think he demolished every single one in the I pond so we've repopulated it now and we're keeping an eye out we are. And we'll we'll let the dogs out, and they can <laughs> and bark they can at them. Scare them away. Yeah. But at the moment, there's so much duckweed. I don't think anything would be able to see them. But that's the, one of the great plans. Is well, the difference is, is before the pond was it's not quite immature. Wasn't yeah, it? it wasn't quite well established. So there was only a, a select amount of weed that we kind of put in. Now it's a very well established pond. Like we can't even see the fish anymore. But we, I think there's about sixty or seventy fish in there now, mm-hmm. ranging from koi to goldfish to tench to carp there's the huge range basically i I spoke to a a pond people down south and they sorted me out and there's also grass carp to try and control some of the um the weed that's kind of getting out of control a little bit so i'm excited to see how that progresses yeah if if you've got any experience with ponds let us know and Mm -hmm. uh any suggestions or tips i actually saw that you can get mussels pond mussels to put in to filter the water and i I'm tempted to get some to put it in where the flow of water comes in because I think that's where they'd like to sit. And if if you've no any any experience on this, let us know. One thing I would say with introducing species to waterways is always double check and be very careful what you're doing because a lot of the problems with invasive species that we have in this country is from people planting stuff or putting things in little garden ponds mm. all of your the crayfish the signal crayfish that's exactly how that started himalayan balsam people planting it because they thought it looked nice to be fair Ra- I- even rainbow trout in in small ponds or, or and i suppose you probably wouldn't survive in small ponds but ponds that are not um quite right where there is a risk with a flooding of washing it into a river you're not <laughs> going to be careful about these sort of things i would I would never think about putting something in the pond like a crayfish that can walk. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no way for the fish to get out. Yeah, there's the pond. no way there's no way for the fish to really get out unless there's a catastrophe. In fact, we've had some of the heaviest rains with the most massive flooding and the pond and the river like cuz there's a little burn that runs. I've never met in all the it's years. It's a long way above it. Yeah, it's a long way above it. So there's no chance of um cross contamination there. But Always forward think these things. Yeah. It's a very exciting time of year because we are now, what, third week in July? Almost in August. It's warm. It's muggy. The row rut has to be, I believe down south, it's actually started already. I believe there's been some signs. I haven't seen anybody post anything that said it's like 100% on, but apparently there's been some signs. So I am hopeful in the next two weeks we're going to get a bit of row rutting action. Uh, and then just after that, the glorious 12th. That is not far away. Three weeks now. 12th of August, start of the grouse season. Yeah, it is. And Which that, for me is basically the start of the season. Because everything just everything rolls on up. and starts to open. September comes round, ducks come online, your pheasants, your partridges. Stags, middle of October, is going to be 
stags roaring and filling the glens. It's very exciting. This next couple of months is one of my favourite times of year. It also gets quite busy for us at this time of year. Always does. Yeah. Uh, in fact, all times of year are busy, but it gets a little bit quieter in the middle of summer, I guess. Two yeah. months in summer. It's fine. I, I, yeah. I don't mind that. And then and then it starts to heat up again. And it's always a pain. It's always a pain for us because uh, you a lot of work always comes in the back end of the year. And then you look at the hours you actually have that you can work in. And some days Every day it's they like get less. four or five hours of usable daylight opposed to summertime where you could, probably could have completed what you were trying to do in, in, one in one day. And it might take you three days just because you've, you don't have the light. But on the other hand, it does mean that you're not out all day. That is the joys of working outside, but we wouldn't have it any other way. We have a competition winner f- uh, for you from two weeks ago. We asked you to post uh, a picture of your vehicle with the podcast sticker. And we heard and saw from loads of you. So thank you very much. From Land Rovers to cars to partners' cars to tractors, we pretty much had it all. And com- completely randomly selected is Westy4. Westy4 on Instagram. Westy4 on Instagram. So yeah. if you are Westy4 then get in contact with us and then you've got the the, the, the prizes. I, I was going to say, the harvest is well underway here and across the country. So uh, Shout you, out to the farmers. Yeah, if you're in your tractor, hello. Hope we're keeping you entertained during your uh, your uh, harvesting season. Very busy time of year for you if guys. If you don't have a podcast sticker in your tractor, let us know. We have been supplying we have country's <laughs> farmers, farmers with podcast with stickers. Podcast stickers. Actually, talking of podcasts... And a lot of gamekeepers, actually, because we were giving them out to gamekeepers on the last show. We were. I think, I think they all went out... Yeah, they yesterday. all went out the other day. Talking of podcast stickers, where did we see a podcast sticker the other day? Did you see one? No. We were together in where? Edinburgh. Oh, of course. Yes. Uh, not on a vehicle. No. No. In a restaurant in, re- in Edinburgh, uh, down the hatch. Down the hatch. It's just off... Uh, if you're going to Edinburgh, it's in uh, Queensferry. And it's uh, under one of the bridges, basically. It's right opposite an awesome Land Rover specialist garage called Engine 710, which was the reason that we were there that day, to go and have a discussion um, with Ben and Doug about some bits and pieces on uh, the main Land Rover that we use for a lot of a lot of the work that we're doing, uh, bits of improvements that need to be done. And they weren't quite ready for us, so we went over the road to down the hatch to get some grub. And as we went through the door, there was our podcast sticker. So a big shout out to everybody at Down the Hatch. So, so if if you want to put a pot, our podcast sticker in a, a shop window or something, or your restaurant, or your restaurant, let us know. Yes, we not only farmers, we will supply <laughs> you as well for the next two weeks. And with that, we have another competition. I have a whole heap of the latest edition of Hornady reloading manuals coming up to the office tomorrow. I think well, they're being sent tomorrow, so they'll be here very very soon. And all we would like is for you to tag us in a picture, post a picture, or send us a picture by direct message on Instagram or Facebook, or, or feel free to email us uh, and tell us what is what you are looking forward to most in the upcoming season. So preferably the picture should kind of be connected, but we're not going to hold you to that. We really just want to hear what you're up to. But send us a picture at the same time. Yep, do that. I'm talking about pictures. We I better tell people what they can win. Oh, wait, what, are, what can <laughs> they That's win? what they need to do. Yeah. And I did tell them. Hornady Reloading Manual. Oh, Brain there, you, fart there, there you go. Uh, we just bought a new camera. 
It's not here yet. It's not here yet. Um, the delivery people said that they would inform me when it was um, going to be delivered, and I got a message saying that it had been delivered, but they couldn't deliver it because no one was there. No so surprising. So they've now taken it to the depot somewhere. Ugh, long story. So we'll get it tomorrow, hopefully. This mm. is the story of our lives, getting so, stuff delivered here. Is Do you a live co- in the Highlands? Well, not really. Ugh. Almost. Unbelievable. I I had th- this is what <laughs> this will make make the listeners laugh. So I had, uh, in fact, it was the fish. Uh, I was ordering one half of the one f- half of the fish. The fish. Yeah. Uh, it was the grass cup, and it wasn't the the company that I bought it from uh, fault. It was their delivery company that specialised in live fish, and they regard where we are as Highlands and Islands. Now we live halfway between Aberdeen and Dundee, and it's about five to ten minutes off the A ninety. Um, it's not the Highlands and Islands. And the crazy thing is they would deliver it to Aberdeen, but they wouldn't deliver it to here. And Aberdeen's further north than us. It's it's pretty insane. Madness. <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of people in Scotland who suffer with this. I bet, I bet you there's the loads problem. of people that suffer with it. And the crazy thing is is um, that often, if the, you do come into the Highlands and Islands, it's it's a considerable sum more to get it delivered, yeah. or they refuse to, li- or they won't do it. Hmm. Um, and I, I, you know what, I can understand sometimes. You know, if, if you're, you're in Shetland, or yeah, that. if you're delivering in, you know, uh, what you know the 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 Wick top Thursday, west yeah. coast of Scotland, uh, there might only be two houses there, and you might be delivering a bed, and that's the only delivery you can do for that day. You know, fifty quid delivery driving from the bottom of England is probably not gonna cut the mustard but it's uh, yeah i, it's I think very frustrating th- for us they need they need a rethink i, I think because just throwing and they won't even negotiate that's, no they won't. that's one of the very the most frustrating things you're trying to explain it because we get just through running the business we get a lot of there's probably like two or three deliveries arrive here every day so we have this problem probably once a week getting stuff sent here yeah. But anyway, that's our moan for the day out. But feel free to moan about stuff being sent and problems to us. Yeah, we will sympathise. Yeah, in fact, if you have any questions, well, we've been meaning this for. If you have any questions, um, send them in, and we'll read them out and try and answer. It yeah, could be we, anything, literally anything you we'll want. Maybe do a wee Q and A session at some point. Yeah, so, let's yeah. let's questions do that. From you, yeah. from so us. send send in questions. It can be literally on any subject that you want. And, and we'll do our best. And hopefully we know about the subject and we'll do our best. And if we don't know about the subject, we'll find out. Someone can give us an answer. Anything you want. And we'll do a little collection of Q&As over the coming weeks. Uh, you can send the questions to podcast at paceproductionsuk.com uh, or just send us on any of the social media outlets and we'll get that and we'll put them all together and we can do it at the start of a show or something. That'll be a little bit fun. And the very last thing from me, is to tell you who we have coming up in two weeks' time. Uh, she will be here with her dad to record this podcast on Friday, which is two days from now, and that is Jenna Gearing. You heard from her dad, Rob, uh, when we were in, I think we recorded uh, the interview with him in Ewa. Ewa, yeah. Uh, he's the man behind uh, Spartan Precision. Uh, we had a chance to catch up with her a little bit while we were in Germany and hear some of her incredible stories of just journeys and adventures that she's done in a very short space of time. So I'm looking forward to sitting down and speaking to her about um, hunting and exploring. Yeah, so am I. Uh, but in fact, not the last thing. I was going to say, we are already thinking ahead of shows for next year. And we're going to have to go 
decide which shows we're doing and i think we are going to do a show in the united states early part of next year i think that's the plan so if you are from the united states please let us know which show is your favorite we know there's a lot of you out there yeah listening to this podcast so welcome if you're new and thank you for listening uh, especially if you're from the States and away from our home country, but we are coming. We are coming over. Uh, I think one of the places that we have to, to go, because there just seems to be so many cool people there, is Bozeman and Montana. Yeah. So a big shout out to all the people in Bozeman. Uh, but beyond that, yeah, the, you guys have a lot of shows in the early part of the year, and it's sometimes hard to know what would be good to go to. And We'd like to go to all of them to sample them once, but I don't think that's going to be possible. So let us know what you think. What do you? What show do you like to go to? Mm-hmm. Even if it's a state fair, that's bloody good. Yeah. Enjoy the show. Gurren, welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. I say welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast, but there's a very good chance that we're probably going to swap cast this. Now, we've never done a swap cast this way around, where you're kind of on our podcast, but you might be using it also as your podcast. So that's cool. That's new. Yeah, well... It- if it's new for you, it's for sure new for me. And um, you guys have just, you're like three days, four days into the podcasting world, so welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Byron. Yeah, yeah. so we're, we're officially four days in. Um, what, give me, so that people can go out and find you, all of our listeners, uh, how, do they, how do they find you on the podcast platform? Um, so we're, we're, we're distributing through iTunes um, initially. The Educated Hunter is the, is the name of the podcast. Uh, it is brought by myself, Curran Island, and Matthew Gibson. Yeah. So and what's what's the premise of? I mean, it the title I think probably gives quite a lot away. The educated hunter. Uh, I'd like to think that we have a lot of educated hunters who listen to this podcast, or hunters certainly that want to improve their sort of level of education and understanding globally. But yeah, what is the sort of the short version premise of of what you're trying to achieve with the podcast? Well, yeah. I mean, essentially, it's not too far from what you've just covered, but it, it really was, or is. Uh, we just want to get hunters, particularly initially from New Zealand, but internationally as a whole, to start communicating and sharing ideas and issues. Um, there's there's a lot of learning to come from other people. Yeah, definitely, um, we agree. And, you know, I, I think a little bit of the culture that I grew up in with my hunting is if it wasn't what you did or understood, it was wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as I've grown and matured myself as a person and within hunting, um, I've learned that that's not the case. And the, and the first way we get to, I guess, resolving issues or at least bringing them to the forefront and and, and valuing the issue, both good and bad, is by communicating about it and yeah. having that conversation. Right. And so I guess that's, that's, that's what we hope to initially achieve with Educated Hunter and then just hope to, to bring hunters together and... Hmm. So you've had uh, you, what are you three three issues in? That's uh, right, three yep, episodes. Yeah, yeah, three episodes in. Yeah, yep. yep, we're flying uh, ahead. But you, but you guys, I, I was quite impressed when you were telling me you you're actually planned quite well ahead because you've got quite a few podcasts in the bank already. Yep. So we've got we've got ten recorded, you know, and we're um, and I've got a next week. I've got a, another three or four, you know, to go right off the bat. So um, there's a there's a lot of people, uh, you know. Thankfully, between Matthew and myself, we have a a pretty good base of people with uh, with varying interests like they're not all just hunters just like I am you know there's um, different styles of hunting and then there's different there's people within my circle of friends that have different values on conservation and the likes so it's not 
and we and, and it's something we really want to focus on with our podcast is it's not all one sided. It's not just agree with Karen and Matthew. That's not what we want. Yeah, you want to have conversations. We want to be debate. The, the format yeah. for conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's exciting. Uh, that's uh, I, I'm impressed with your forward planning because at most we we normally manage to run like three ahead. <laughs> just, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we're, we're every two weeks as well. And I mean, sometimes we are a little bit more like we do uh, like when we were at Iwa when we do the show over in, in Nuremberg. And you have an opportunity to meet a lot of people in a short space of time over like three or four days. And then we kind of managed to get ahead of ourselves. And prior to me coming to New Zealand, because Daryl couldn't be here, we got a whole bunch done. But yeah, I'll be impressed if you manage to keep like 10 episodes ahead. It's a lot of work. People yeah. don't realize what a lot of work it is. But we, you know, we, we enjoy it. And I'm, I know that you're saying that you've been enjoying the process of yeah. putting podcasts together. Really enjoying the process. Like I'm really enjoying... And it's sort of hard to give context on that because I've been telling you how much I just enjoy hunting. Mm. It doesn't have to be big trips. It doesn't have to be week long. It doesn't. It can be anything. I just enjoy it. But um, with with that, I I've, I find myself being complacent. So I've, what I like with the podcast is I actually get to have genuine conversations about real topics. Yeah. And 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 you know pick on a few things here and there. Like I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. For us, what's been so cool over the last two and a bit years is we've had the opportunity to speak to some truly amazing people from all over the planet. And it's been a, I almost want to say it's like, it's been the excuse to have conversations with people that I might not otherwise have had the opportunity to have conversations with. Uh, You know, legends like Shane Mahoney, who have taken the time out to have conversations with us. And, you know, we learn a lot from it. And I know from the feedback that we get that our, our listeners appreciate it and learn a lot from those people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we could. I think we definitely do more to take the time to learn from people who know more than we do. Yeah, well, Ar- around the world, not yeah, just yeah. in our own mm-hmm. countries. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I like I'm much the same. I'm re- I'm really looking forward to. I guess some of them are idols. You know, I, I, it's pre- it's fair for me to bracket them like that. But then also some uh, industry leaders, um, and and I imagine when I get into it further, there's going to be a lot of information that just isn't there for the public you know or or the public hide from and i just want to hear those stories too yeah you know i think i think touch, when touch it all the comes prick, touch the prickly issues yeah well i think so um yeah. that's, that's what it's about for us you know just yeah. lay it down and be as honest as possible and i think we're moving i think we're moving into an era uh in hunting and when we say hunting we sometimes have to um explain what we mean in the uk because hunting traditionally in the uk was always you were hunting foxes, hunting with hounds. That's what that phrase is. But when we talk about hunting, we've always it's all encompassing. It's all forms of hunting when we when we say that. But I, I think with regard to that globally, I think we're moving to a time where we are being a bit more honest about the good, the bad, the ugly. Maybe think ways that we should be changing what we do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I, you must I, have seen it with some of the new publications and people and stuff online. Yeah, certainly, and it's refreshing, but it's probably necessary. You know, I think, um, you know, there's we've probably had it pretty good as hunters, especially down here in New Zealand. Um, we've had it pretty good for a long time, and um, we're probably not aware of what we need to be doing to represent ourselves a little bit better. I, I think that's, you know, partly an issue. There's, there's any number of things to go down, but I, I, that, that's where it sits for me. Um, I'd like to think that if I could impact hunting and hunters to to take some social responsibility with what it is they do 
and the way they do it and why they portray it and 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 have the confidence to portray it and, and show it the way they do too. Like um, it's a big I, part of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's it's you know we see a, a lot of what we do is it's not just about um, well it's kind of twofold. It's about providing information to people who are already in the sort of hunting community so that they can better represent themselves, like you've said. Mm-hmm. Because that the, the ways to understand that and articulate yourself to somebody who doesn't um, hunt hasn't always been there because we're always talking amongst ourselves. Yep. And then the second part of that is to also present a, present a show like the podcast or present films like we make in a way that can also be consumed by people who don't hunt because we've not been particularly good at that either. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's where we hope with the educated hunter to make the biggest influence in in the demographic which we we bracket it as the uninformed. Yeah. So um, not the people who don't like us. Yeah, like the, there is those people, and there's that in any demographic. Yeah. You know, the guys that are currently in speedway have people that don't like the noise. Like <laughs> it's in everything. Yeah. Like it's not well us as hunters. The course fishermen don't like game fishing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's it's there in hunting. Um, and I think as hunters, we need to we need to share. And you know, there's that, that, that massive population that are the uninformed, and basically they have option A or option B. And and until option A being the hunters, um, just show it in a better light and show it positively and 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 show the benefits of. Unfortunately, it looks a lot better to side with those that oppose the hunting. Mm. You know and. You've got to look into it a lot deeper when it yeah. comes to trying to understand the benefits that hunting can have. But also, I think, from our standpoint, we need to be uh, honest about things which are maybe not necessarily done particularly well mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Like, we, we are hunting animals, you know, like in its simplest form. Um, so we, we just need to be honest about what it is we do, why we do it, and and... And the morals we take to it as well. Because That's important. The, they, they get overlooked and, um, you know, that, that's the unfortunate side of things. Yeah, I think we live increasingly in a society and we see this, you're in a, living almost like in a slightly different world here in New Zealand from the little that I've seen while I've been here because it's way more socially acceptable to be involved in hunting, be a hunter uh, here and you've got a much smaller population but probably a higher number of hunters so as a proportion it's huge um compared to us back in the, back in the UK um and it it creates a a slightly different way of outlook for hunters here in terms of what they can maybe maybe get away with and what's been done historically whereas we're in a position uh back at home right now where Almost everything we do seems or feels like it needs to be quite guarded. Yeah, certainly. So, so that that touches on something that you know we believe is as Matthew and Curran or the educator hunter that we as New Zealand in our youth have the opportunity to learn from countries that have you know been hunting for longer than us and are now you know had and have come through different issues um, and, and have changed the way that they are viewed publicly or or are working on changing that. And like we have the ability to work on those things prior to them needing to be done. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Because proactive. Proactive, yeah. you know, because yeah. we live in, well, for a hunter, you know, like New Zealand is 
it doesn't get much better you know what i mean like um and i'm you know very aware of that like we can hunt multiple species multiple areas sort of without limitation you know other than a few ballot or recreational hunting area type type scenarios but we literally have a free reign in it and like you say due to the population it is socially acceptable on the whole you know we we have hunting you don't have much negative like anti-type hunting backlash here so it's starting to come yeah. And that that's where we see, based on what we've seen internationally, that we need to be proactive now because we are so small and, and I guess, in a little bubble. And um, you could say, whilst hunting is socially acceptable, as, as New Zealand's population rises and, and, and families move more to the city for um, employment opportunities and, and generations get further away from... Being rural and being off the yeah, hill, like, like being connected to the yeah, land. Yeah, cause yeah, because like I sit there sometimes, I'm in my vacant daydream sitting on the hill, and I'm like, "Crikey, we we're almost one generation away from never going camping again." <laughs> it's true. Well, well, you know, like yeah. I look at it, and thankfully my parents took me camping, so I camped, so my children will camp. But then I've I've got friends my age group with young children that have never camped. Seems so mad, doesn't so it? So beyond that, if they don't camp, who's how do you learn that skill set? Like. Mm. And it seems like basic stuff if you've done it. If, like you've if done your parents it. pass it on, yeah. But it's an alien world if you've never. If you're if you're thirty years old, yeah. And you've never set up a tent and li- like cooked on like a little gas cooker exactly. or, f- or s- liquid fuel cooker. Yeah, and then and then from there it only goes further when we talk about hunting. Like it, yeah. You know that's a whole other step. But I, I just just going back there. Like I think, you know, we we have the opportunity. Based on the fact that a, a, a large number of our population still support hunting, to change it with support, you're in a strong position. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if we can get it publicly, be proactive publicly, whilst we've got number and support, like that's as strong as it's ever going to be. If we let that demise sort of happen over time, and then the hunters become a minority by further population, then it's a harder battle for us at all. So you know. I guess they but how like, do you? I mean, how do you tackle the, like we were just saying, the, the moral reasoning why you why we hunt why why we why we take life and why we feel the need to undertake this activity of of hunting in whatever form it might take, whether mm-hmm. it be pig hunting here or, uh, whether it be stags in Scotland or stags here or duck shooting. You know, there's a whole multitude of different different skill sets and different ways that we can hunt and harvest food for the table. And and trophies in, in inverted commas, which is a, another discussion. But how do you how do you tackle the current situation in New Zealand um, in terms of the sort of moral responsibility? When from from what I've seen, and you, you feel free to to correct me here, but the the kind of management of game. If you, I know it's not really class, <laughs> much of it's not really class as yeah. game here. But what we would see as game species: your, mm-hmm. your tar, your chamois, uh, your red stags, and all, all the other deer, deer species. Those kind of game species um, that people want to pursue in the activity of hunting don't really have a management plan. No. Yeah. No, so and it's, and, it's, it's, and, it's and we often the attach topics. the the kind of the, the moral responsibility to moral responsibility of management and actually looking after and taking care of a species and it's kind of all tied in a circle and when we're explaining why do we do what we do when we're culling hinds in in the winter in Scotland and we can 
you start to paint that picture for somebody so that they can understand. But here, you've got a, a very different scenario that would be quite alien to people back at home. And I mean, I've learned a hell of a lot in the last 10 days. It's not maybe quite how it seems from the outside. So maybe you can flesh that out a little bit. I mean, that's a whole... Yeah, that's so cheap as this. Yeah, how long do we time. have? Yeah. Um, well, to, to, put, to put that simply from the bits, the bits that I heard as current, you know, yeah. um, we don't manage them. <clears throat> um, it's a, almost like a peak and trough thing. Like, there's too many. Let's get rid of them. There's not enough. Move on. And that's over and, a quite a lot of species you're referring yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is across the board. Um, I think if we went down each species, yeah, a because, whole, it'd be... And just to... so I'll let you carry on, but mm-hmm. just for a little bit of background for people listening, there isn't really a lot here uh, that's... We're using somebody else's house right now <laughs> that we have permission to be in, yeah, yeah. and that's the phone ring. But So we'll let that ring, ring in the background, but we're not going to pick it up because it's not our house. <laughs> um, a lot of the species that are here in New Zealand were introduced. Yeah. yeah so, well, but essentially everything we hunt was introduced, yeah. you know, um, and and therefore classified as a pest. Yeah. Um, so it becomes pretty hard. It wasn't hard. originally, though. Well, it becomes pretty hard to manage a pest, doesn't it? Yeah. But originally um, when it was introduced, it wasn't classified. So it was introduced for hunting, yeah. um, you know, and, and a, a gift to New Zealand, you yeah. know, and now they're a pest. Quite a lot um, from Scotland. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. Um, so, so now it's a pest, um, and we we don't have a, a a management system as such. There's there's there is management that happens as a result. If if that makes sense, like so. So if if numbers were deemed high, or there was like a tuberculosis scare, because you know um, there's a there's another big topic in that, but. Then management management might exist in the in the form of cows and poisoning. There's not ongoing management, um, and and then one thing that and where that because of our unique hunting demographic, some of the hunters are going to have more of a problem with introducing a management system than the non-hunters. Yeah, okay. and that that's because because the free reign we, would yeah, be removed. It's our right as Kiwis, quote unquote, yeah. to hunt and have numbers, and and it's dockland. So when they refer to dockland, it's for the Kiwis. And that's the Department of Conservation. Department of Conservation. Which is your um, public public lands. Public so. land. Um, so an organisation that's there to look after public land, both um, plant and pest, um, plant and animal and pest control. Um, so that they do govern all that, but then they also look and promote access for Kiwis. Okay. So, you know, the, the trouble with that is hunters are going to have an issue with that. Yeah, because you could do whatever yeah. you like, and now suddenly someone's telling you someone's you can't put do a handbrake stuff. on that. Yeah. yeah, and they're they're going in there and they're 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 culling hinds, and X amount of people are going to say, "Well, I could shoot that hind, and my family could eat it." And then it's all very true. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think to find a balance that exists between management for New Zealand and our native species, New Zealanders that hunt and want to hunt, they want to learn to hunt, and then just the, the balance for the animal itself, management needs to come out so it averages out over a long playing field, Yeah, not not up and down and to no, suit. You've got suit. big peaks and troughs right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we have, there's, the, the, there's so many issues, like, and they... they well, they all come together at some point, but they're all very different. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so. what on a sort of a broad level, what's the 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 countrywide government? Because ultimately, you know, just the same as in most countries around the world, a lot of what ends up happening gets pushed by government. 
what is the current view of the government? What do they want to see? You know, you, you, you've you got, like we've just said, you know, tar, shamwar, a whole heap of deer species. Yeah. What's the future for them as far as the government are concerned? The hunters uh, still want to have them to hunt, but... Yeah, so so this, my, my reply to that is based on the information I know. Yeah, it's only the information you know, I know. Yeah. Like, because um, I, I haven't spoken to anybody in government no, directly enough. about this, but it's... Comes across, and it appears, and this is partly why hunters get so agitated around the idea, is that if they could remove every one of these animals that is quote unquote a pest, mm-hmm. then that would be better. That, so they that, would that's be the happy. desirable outcome. Yeah. That's the impression and, that I've got asking the few yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, the feeling. Yeah. But again, I, I, you may is or may not have, have you gone to yeah. the powers to be and, and, and had those discussions, and I haven't, and I hope to one day. Yeah. Just, just to balance that argument. To understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Because, um, you know, as a hunter, I I want management in there. I want management of herds, and I want populations, like I say, to average out. But I still want hunting to be there. I want to be able to enjoy the outdoors. I want to hunt. I want to be able to educate my children to hunt. I want this to be a long-serving activity, hobby, passion, however it fits into an individual. And try and achieve the balance between introduced huntable species, which are... With the little knowledge that I've had, I think that they're a valuable asset to your country. But, you know, that is up for debate. But I can equally see that you have to balance that with the loss of whatever it might, whatever native it might be, whether that mm-hmm. be plants or native yep. animals. Yep. There is that and balance. There, there has to, to be a balance. There has to be. Because I want as much as, and that's where, where as a hunter, I have to let my ego go a little bit. Like, because I want to be able to hunt deer. I want to be able to hunt tar. I want to be able to hunt chamois. You know, like, that's what I want. But I also want New Zealand to be the beautiful, iconic place it is for my family and for my next generation. You don't want to lose your iconic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't want to be able to hunt forever for the sake of New Zealand being New Zealand. Yeah. You know, like so, I as a hunter have to actually appreciate that. Oh, I actually hang on. I need to find that happy medium, and that may mean that sometimes when I walk out on the hill, I don't see forty deer. You know, like is is that excessive? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm. It's, I don't have that skill, so I don't know what populations should be and where they should be. But I know we don't really seem to even conversate about it. Yeah, okay. and that, that's that's where I come from. You've got to start the conversation first. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's it's a it's a complex issue and one that we are not going to solve drink, <laughs> drink, drinking <laughs> but, beer but, tonight. But, but then I, I guess, how have you felt? Like you've, I know you've only been here for ten days mm. and spent time with limited number of people, so yeah. it's. Probably a view from yeah, it, reasonably it, it, similar fields. It is, but what's your perception? Uh, I was kind of, you know, I've always viewed uh, New Zealand, and I think many people do who don't live here, as this incredible hunting and fishing mecca. I'm not seeing any of the fishing because I'm here the wrong time of bloody year. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this hunting and fishing mecca, which is just you're surrounded by people who it's really part of their culture. And, I, and I've seen that, like we've just had the, had the discussion. And I can see how, why, uh, I can see why people think that on the outside, but I was almost a little bit, um, I, suppose, I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but when I started to understand how the animals were viewed here by the population and, and the government, from what I've I've come to understand, I was disappointed because I saw it as this heaven, 
And I realized that you guys have actually probably more issues than we have in Scotland. Well, we've got a lot of hunting. Yeah, you've got a lot but of hunting, but... Nothing other than that. Like, yeah, you know, there, really, there seemed to me to be, at whatever level, this almost want to say a kind of a, a lack of respect for the value of those animals and and an appreciation of what they are and their sort of place within the world. And, and I understand it's complex because they are non-natives, but then equally, how far do you want to turn the clock back? And we have this discussion. How far can you turn it back? How far can you turn it back? We have this discussion at home all the time with the people who want to rewild and they want to reintroduce wolves and lynx and They've already managed to re- illegally re- uh, reintroduce beavers. But how far do you want to turn the cl- clock back? And just like you say, how far can you? Because we still are going to live there. So unless you want to start sticking people on a ship and moving them out the country, because we live on a little island like you do, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a limit to what you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that a balance can be found. Uh, and yeah, I was. it was really frustrating to understand quite how the animals were viewed like for example i was up in uh in the godly valley um we were taking some photographs up there and i re- was looking at the hut books which i think is an awesome thing by the way mm-hmm. having yeah, having oh, a hut book so you can see well, who's been there and, I, and I it doesn't that. have to be hunters no you no know, it's it all just shows you the users yeah, yeah it's, it's all perfect. sorts of people yeah. but there was a, a group of hunters from australia who had been in there uh, i mean i'm only mentioning it because the, they said they were from australia and like uh, seven or eight guys or something and they'd been in this particular place, and they'd shot 28 or 27 tar in seven days. <laughs> but and yep. they were all young. Yeah. And my impression of that was that they were happy to do that. You know, I, I would say that there is personal moral issues going on there anyway, uh, that they were happy to do that. But maybe they were comfortable to do it because of the way that those animals are viewed within your country, within New Zealand, because they're seen as pests. So in a way, it's like, well, I'm kind of doing you a favor, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's and the that's, I think that's a shame. Yeah, like we've, we've, we've found ourselves, wrongly or rightly, on this niche where people want to come and pull the trigger a lot. Come to New Zealand. Yeah, you can gun you as much you, stuff down as you like. Yeah, and you don't need to take the meat. You don't need to pack out. You don't need to take the foot. You don't even need to care about what it is you're pulling the trigger on. And how would, does that look to and a non-hunting public? Exactly, and that that's... That's and that's a painful reality, and yeah. and and the tie with it is because I, you know, like when I hear somebody went in there and shot, you know, X amount of tar, and and the numbers and the species are irrelevant. Yeah, a little part of me goes, well, somebody needs to manage those because we're not doing it as recreational hunters, Fair enough. you know, in, yeah. in the area. And then I go, but like, how many of those were young bulls, or how many of those had potential, or how many of those perhaps could have been income? generating for New Zealand as a whole you know like uh, there's different opportunities that could have come with it like they're, they're majestic animals any of these species yeah they are um, but you, and, you, and we make them valueless you do yeah yeah it, it is a system and you can see like the with that example I gave you the lack of uh, you know, maybe maybe it is the case that they thought they were doing New Zealand in inverted commas <laughs> a favour because it's seen as a pet species but there shows a lack of education because it was all bulls are shot Mm-hmm. So what's that doing to the population? Well, mm-hmm. okay, congratulations, you've reduced it by 28. Yeah. But if you'd shot 28 females, you're actually making a difference. Because that's yeah, what, a positive, you know, that positive, positive difference, difference yeah. if it is a case that you've got too many. Just the same as on the estates in Scotland, they will have a handle on their population. They shoot so many stags that they've got stags left over. And then they're looking at their hind population and uh, what the, the reproduction rate is going to be for the age class. And they're culling appropriately 
to keep that level either where it is, if they're happy with it from the year before, or maybe they're culling a bit more to bring it down. Maybe they're culling less if it's been a hard winter. But that requires a handle on the population. And also you've got to value the population in order to take that kind of mindset instead of like a carpet bombing, just shoot whatever's there. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that's kind of what almost upset me in a way. Yeah, well, it upsets a lot of New Zealanders too. You know, yeah, like, um, and, and there's been a growing trend for that kind of thing. Um, you know, like s- social media has allowed that to be seen. Like, you know, there's a lot of people coming and shooting a lot of different animals. Mm. Um, Do you think that's played a big part? The sort of social media come on, come on over to New it's, Zealand. It's 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 made it has made seeing that as an opportunity available. Yeah, you know, and and then you look at it. For those that are interested in hunting and looking at it from those that like overseas experience and adventure, you can come to New Zealand on a road trip for three weeks and add in a four-day hunt where you can shoot wherever you want for as long as you want. But yeah, well, you can't do that kind of thing anywhere else in the world. Uh, and it's, at the moment, fine. We don't have a problem with it, quote-unquote. You know, like, uh, and that, that's... Uh, that's, it's just really unfortunate. I believe it's unfortunate. It is a shame. I, I will just add, in terms of like a, a positive note at the end of that, is that it's a freaking awesome experience. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I've just done some of the done right, and you know, I was I was with um, Joseph Peters, who was who was guiding me. So you know, he's a guy with a huge amount of knowledge, and I've done a podcast with him, which may or may not come out before this podcast. Um, but I got to experience, you know, proper wilderness. Yeah, proper hunting with great care, mm-hmm. great care as to what we were looking at. And I learned a huge amount. So in terms of, and I've done, you know, I've been fortunate enough to hunt in a number of countries around the world and a number of different species uh, through my hunting career and through work that I've done. And, you know, it's right up there. It is like, it is it an is right awesome experience. It's right up it's, there it's in terms right of the species and, yeah. and the experience and what it takes to hunt those animals. It is, you know, it's going to blow you away. If you've not been yep. here before, uh, I don't want people to be put off by the conversation no, we yeah, just had. Yeah, it will, if it's done right, it yep. will absolutely blow yep. you away. And, but, the, but perhaps there needs to be some management around that, yeah. so it has to be done right. <clears throat> exactly. Like we have That's fantastic outfitters here in New Zealand, yeah. Joseph being one of them, that um, is, you know, loves climbing the hills. He's built for it. Um, <laughs> but, 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 I found that But, but importantly, and <laughs> yeah. I, like I hope to podcast Joseph about this sort of thing, like, his view on what a trophy is, you know, is, is, is accurate. Like he's aging animals, and he's yeah, he's particularly he's happy to class. walk beyond the first animal. Like, and he's got so many attributes that I think just make him a really strong hunter. So you know, I do hope to podcast him myself in the future. But perhaps we need management around that. Yeah, you know, and and that would be the form because then it allows it to happen. But it it also means that it has to happen, and and perhaps that's what we need. Like, and that's sort of like there's the so many models approach. around the world. Yeah. We're humans being humans. We don't really do it until we have to do it. And yeah. that perhaps that's what that takes. Maybe New Zealand could be the first. Yeah, exactly. To be you ahead know. of the curve. The, the, don't be forced into a corner because that's you know, that's the issue that we face at home all the time. We're forced into a corner that you eventually can't get out of. Yep. Yeah. And and I like I and, and this there's there's so much d- despite New Zealand and New Zealand's hunting being youthful, we have so much history that's gonna be quite hard to change. But yeah. you look at you've you know, I understand you've film tar hunting in Nepal. I have, yeah. And then, then we have the tar hunt here in New Zealand and then other than some high fence tar in Texas, which arguably isn't tar hunting, but yeah. it, what it, that's a different thing. Um, we're, it's, 
if you put that on a supply and demand thing outside of the fact you can shoot any number, but like in terms of location and and so forth, you know, like the 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 guiding and the work I've done with Stone Sheep in you know Northern British Columbia, where they're now spending forty thousand dollars to do this Stone Sheep because it's pure supply and demand. Yeah, it is. And the, the populations are healthy. It's not like the supply and demand's declining because you know that's really negative impact on the on the, on the sheep. And then here we are with the Himalayan bull tar outside of the Himalayans, granted, in New Zealand, and they quote unquote just give them away. Yeah, and and and, and is it's, that is it's that incredible gonna, because it's a resource to Canada. It's a pest to New Zealand. Yeah, and yeah. I know they're different animals. I know there's there's all but different the, conversations the on the those. The principles are the same, or arguably the same. Yeah, and I, that's one of the things I find. In a way, it's a great success story. Yeah, I mean, and I think. What I hope that people at home in the UK, and particularly in Scotland, are going to uh, take from this conversation is that to some extent in certain areas of Scotland, we are pushing and the government is pushing to a stance where deer are seen as a pest. Much the same as this conversation we're having right now where your species is seen as a pest. This is where we will end up going if we allow our species to be viewed in that way. They need to be viewed as the asset that they are and managed to that extent. But it's a, and I would say the deer in Scotland are a great success story because we've got so many of them and 99% of the time they're bloody well managed, I would say. Um, but the success of tar here is quite incredible because I, and I wish I should have done it before, and I, but I don't even know if the numbers truly exist. But I don't think there's that many tar in uh, where they actually, in their native range. And yeah. I don't have those numbers. And I, maybe what I'll do, if I'm mindful, is I will look them up and do them for the intro that I do with my brother. But I, my guess is, we'll find out if I'm actually right. But with the numbers that are available, you've probably got more tar here than in the oh, native from, range. From, uh, from my uneducated or, or from my understanding, you did right. Yeah. Like we, we but that's, have- that's like... In terms of global populations of species, and we all like to talk about the survival of species. Mm-hmm. No one wants to see, you know, the demise of any species. I would say that's, you know, that's something it's worth considering, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, you would think so. You, you know, would you think would so. think, um, and, and you know, like, and, and every animal is is beautiful in its own way. But it's such a beautiful, majestic animal, and oh. here we have it in beautiful, majestic landscape. Oh, and like we have the I've got this amazing affinity to them now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is. You've got that for tar. life, I can tell you that. Is it, yeah. is it in me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> Thanks yeah, a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the smell on the bottom of your pack. It's there. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. to have to keep coming back. When I saw I saw this, uh, it wasn't a particularly old, I mean, he was a long way away, but we didn't think he was a particularly old bull, judging by, by his mane, but he was walking a long way away in the last sun of the day across this, Bit of a snowfield going up to the these craggy peaks. He looked like a bear. Yeah, grizzly like bear is like a really good yeah, comparative. Like yeah. a small grizzly bear walking across the snow, and that was my first proper sighting of tar uh, in this country. Obviously, I saw them in Nepal six months ago, uh, but that that sighting was even more spectacular than my my first tar that I saw in Nepal, just because of the way the light was, and it was we were way up in the mountains and. Yeah, I think I've got bitten by the tar bug yeah. good this yeah. trip. Yeah, and, and the experience as a whole. Like, you know, mm. like there was your time with Joseph, like it, it brings an educational element, yeah. you know, um, and, and then with your own passion and education, then you, you, you allowed yourself to absorb so much from the environment and so forth. Yeah, you know, that's, for me, that's what to it's me, that's about. What, and that's, to me, again, that's what hunting is. Like, 
I have I have mounts on my wall, and people sort of ask me about that. Like, how do you? Why do you? Your wife's a vet. How come you're killing and she's fixing? Like, yeah, this is interesting. Whereas, we should, we but, should talk but, about but, this. But, yeah. but my my first response to all of them is they are they are my version of a postcard of travel. Yeah, like every time I look at them, they mean that environment at that time, that experience, that age bracket I was in. Because I I like I've mentioned to you socially, like. You do things differently at different ages, even yeah. the same event, you know. And even so in look life, at, just, yeah, yeah. So I look at my either. mounts, and thank God I did some of my twenties because now my thirties—that feels like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you me know, feel old. yeah, exactly. So I'm like, God damn, I'm glad I did that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the, the trophy, as in whatever it is, what whatever memento you take from from a trip, is is a funny one because I like taking photos i mean it's partly my job uh and that it means a lot to me to be able to look back at, at great photos from a great trip and and this particular trip you know i was successful uh, successful enough to shoot a 13 and a half year old um bull tar which is a very old animal i mean he was i haven't actually shown a- you the pictures of him yet but when when we skinned him out there was nothing of him yeah he had like no fat around his face at all nothing inside he was like it was like it was like a lurcher yeah, just, yeah, when we skinned a him. bruiser. Yeah, yeah. and he, he actually had a lot of bruising all up his back leg from mm-hmm. obviously fighting Fine. during the rut. And then Joseph reckoned that it was probably fairly unlikely that he would make it through, through the rest of the winter because yeah. we're obviously in winter here now. Um, but I've uh, we're going to drop off the skull of that and uh, the flat skin to the to the taxidermist. Yeah, and I'm yeah I'm super excited about that because I'm super excited about taking it home. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm showing my girlfriend, actually. Oh. I, t- I told her that I was bringing the flat skin home, and she was just delighted. And it's got nothing more to do with it other than it's, well, it, well, there's two main aspects for me. It's a continued appreciation of that animal, like massively so. Because every time I look at that skin, I'm going to think about what I had to do to get him. Yeah. The, 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 the volume of sweat on the forehead, the frozen boots, yeah, yeah, all of that <laughs> yeah, stuff, and 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 think about you know how old he was and in what state he was in, and the same when I put those you know the the horns up in my wall, probably in the office, and none of that stuff. If someone was to walk into my house and look at, none of it has to do with dick measuring. I promise you. For me, it is just a way to hold on to that experience mm-hmm. a little bit more and, and, and a continued respect for the animal. That's that's 100% what they mean to me. Yeah. Um, a, a continued respect and just a, just to strike some memory. And that yeah. matters. You it know, does like, matter. I, like, I love a good photo, but unfortunately they have to be given to me because I don't have that skill set. <laughs> but, you know, so they're, they're my 3D version of a photo, you know, and that, that, that matters to me. Yeah, that matters to me. Yeah. But trying to explain that to, to people sometimes is, is quite difficult. I mean, what would be the alternative to that? You know, would sometimes I, I wonder whether you know, someone who's critically, you know, why do you need that on your wall? Why do you need those horns on your wall? Well, would have you been happy that I, I took all the meat out? Which we did. We took. I've got some of the meat that I'm taking up to my cousin sitting in the fridge right now, and uh, the rest is sitting in Joseph's freezer. But would have those people who are critical of that been happy that you took the meat out but left everything else? Left the skin and the and the horns on the mountainside. Would would have that made you a better person? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you, but most people can't answer that. No, exactly. And 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 for me, my personal belief on that is 100%. It shows respect for the animal. I'm utilizing more than just the meat, and I always take the meat. Like, but for me, I I I, I want every portion of the animal. Like, it means something to me, I, and I respect the fact that I took that animal. Um, so it, it doesn't matter to me hugely, yeah. 
it's, it's definitely not something. Just getting something that uh, you you were touching on there. Your your wife, your good lady, mm-hmm. um, is is a vet. Yep. Now yep. Uh, that's some people might find that a kind of uh, a strange combination. Somebody who passionately hunts, taking of life, vet, saving of life. Yeah. I mean. She's married to you, so I'm, I'm guessing she's okay with it. <laughs> I got by at some point, yeah. No, um, um, it definitely yeah, how, comes how, up. It comes up yeah. all the time. You know, her, like, especially in regards to her, like, 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 how come you're married to a hunter? Like, how come your house is full of dead animals? Quote, unquote, dead animals, yeah. you know, like. And, and, you know, my wife is a vet and a very good vet. But as part of that role, she's comfortable to hum- humanely euthanize animals. And and as she refers to it, there's nothing inhumane about death. So she she can comfortably sit in that bracket, knowing that I didn't just pull the trigger on everything. Like I I, I worked hard at it. I measured it internally against myself. Did I feel comfortable? Um, will I be resourceful with it? Is it the right animal to take? Does you know is the impact negative for the other animals? Like like she knows I go through this entire process. It's not just a whim. And then. You know, and and then she sees the joy in what I do for me. Like her, she doesn't share my hunting passion, but she, for sure, shares the fact that I have a passion. And so she knows when I come home and I'm smiling from ear to ear, and I've been successful. The dogs have gone good, depending on what it, you know what it is I'm doing. She enjoys that, and she loves the fact that it makes I, you I, the man you are. It, well, it makes me the man I am. Yeah. But uh, but we we we. Thankfully, have a pretty good freezer, yeah. <laughs> you know, as a whole. Um, or but, three, <laughs> yeah, 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 or three freezers, yeah. But um, you know, it's 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 more than that. Like it it keeps me balanced. Uh, I think a little bit, a little bit goes back to primate. Like she's she's a little bit like, thank God I've got a man of the house. Yeah. And I, but you're not you're judging. Damn, you're but, da- no, but you're damn right yeah. because. You know, I think that it's something we don't talk uh, enough about, and I'd say probably I'm even gu- I'm guilty of that too. We talk a lot about, yeah, hunting is great because, well, maybe not here, but uh, <laughs> at home it's it's part of a, a conservation and, and management thing. That you've got the meat aspect of it, you've got uh, you know the ethical treatment of game, but we don't talk that much about what it does for you as a person, and there is there is definitely this deep connection to the, the primitive being mm-hmm. that oh. we are. It's just the same as, and, and I, I'm, I can't claim using uh, this analogy, but it's just the same as you stick anybody around a campfire, anyone. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. they've been in the town, maybe they've, it's, it's perfectly possible in this modern world that we live in that someone has never sat around a campfire before. And if you stick that person around the campfire... I apologize for whoever that is. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, come, give, yeah, send give us, us an call. email and I'll <laughs> fix it for you. But if you put that, those people around a campfire, they're going to sit and stare at the fire. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Why is that? What is it about the heat and the glow of dancing flames that entrances people? And it, you know it entrances me to this yeah. very oh, day. I still do and it, it. it has uh, to be primitive, yeah. right? It has to be has some to be. sort of it drawback to, to where yeah. we came from. Yeah. And I think hunting, although it's been very removed from a lot of people, it's the same thing. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt for me, and no doubt for my wife. Like it's not just something. It's not a story I'm portraying on behalf of my wife. It's it's definitely a real thing. And you know, and 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 if I compile that, like she knows what it means to me. And I'm 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 lucky to have a, a wife that understands that and 
if I'm at home for a couple of weeks, she's damn near forcing me out the door. Like, come on, <laughs> Corinne, it's time to go. You know, it's better for all of us if you go for a good walk. Yeah, here, you get know. it out your system. Yeah, yeah, go, go and do, do it. Go and, go and see something. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's sort of, I don't know if it's primate, but then that, that explorative part of our nature. You know, I think that's where hunters have that as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, what's over that next brow? Like, God damn, I'm tired, but what's just over there? Like, and it turns out it's the same damn thing you were looking at, but you just had to check it out you anyway. To, like, yeah. It, it, that is a strange aspect of it. And it's one of, I don't think, you know, maybe not every hunter is like that. Uh, but I think a lot are. And I think an increasing amount are now. The younger generation, like my generation, I think I can still claim to be young. Uh, they seem to Hold want to it. <laughs> just. I'm turning 31 in like a week, so I think it's game over then, isn't it? Um, they seem to want more of the experience, and they're chasing. They seem to be chasing that more. You know, we see it with the conversations that we have with people. It's far more, and it always should be this way. It's far more than just the kill, and for the vast majority of hunters, it is far more than just the kill. But mm. increasingly, it's the next level of experience and that's why yeah. we see so many people asking us about the, our wilderness hunts mm-hmm. and why i think you know an increasing number of people are trying to look for ways to adventure in other places because and it's another sort of throwback i think to the, our very primitive selves where we we did want to explore and search yeah. And, yeah. and trying to hold on i mean there's, there's not really much of the world that you can go in for the very first time you know most of it has kind of been done but i yeah. think we still have it within us that we want to Explore. Yeah, it's yeah, like and, and watch around the next corner of the river while you're fishing. Like, yeah. I wonder if anybody else has actually been here. I think you that know, all like the time. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like I stand on a rock on top of this a little <laughs> pinnacle up in the mountains. Even where I was with Joseph now, like I wonder if anybody stood like like here, yeah, literally like, under where yeah, my feet yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's nice to think that sometimes. Oh, it's 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 magic. It's yeah, like all all these things we've are touching on because we haven't gone down any big rabbit holes yet. Like that, that's part of what hunting is. You know, largely what makes it up for me. So it's um it's a it's a magic thing. But um, but so so now going back to the management stuff because I know you've done some time in South Africa. Mm. Um, you know, and and w- without making it about South Africa, like you've got um animal management in Scotland. Yeah, and then animal management in different forms in South Africa mm-hmm. that you've been privy to. Uh, how have you found those as a hunter? You know, obviously because they're creating some restrictive. So, how have you found them as a hunter, and have you seen the positive reflection of those? That's you know, I think what I'm about to say is going to be true in most walks of life uh, and in most hunting around the world. There's good practices, there's great practices, and there's bad practices. Um, in South Africa, just as South Africa, rather than looking at Africa as a whole, and I can only really speak for the southern African countries because I've never hunted uh, Central Africa. It's a lot more difficult to hunt there, a lot more expensive. Uh, but I have hunted most of the southern African countries, and even you know within within those countries and between them, there is vast differences um, in their management principles. But broadly speaking, you know it's the same, and it boils down in Africa in particular to one main thing. If it has a value, it'll continue to exist. If it doesn't have a value, it's gone. And that is because they have they have a population issue there. Uh, they've got a massive um, poaching and bushmeat meat problem in Africa and basically you know across the entire continent. Uh, and so unless it has an intrinsic value that can uh, filter down to the local people uh, because they are employed in industry with, within concessions and they're, or they're being looked after, 
the game's gone. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and that's and I know that you understand that and you know a lot of hunters are, are coming to understand that as an argument for game management but that doesn't mean that all the hunting in Africa is good yeah, you know, yeah there's, there's, some, know. there's some bad guys there yeah. and on there's a, bad practices and bad, bad practices, practitioners yeah. you know on a, on a moral level there's some stuff that's gone that, that has gone on and is is still going on that I think is questionable I mean there is the uh, the concept of high fence, which is something they talk about in in North America, it's a subject which is talked about here a lot in New Zealand. Although um, I think you know, in the last couple of years, probably a lot of people outside New Zealand probably didn't really know that went on here. Um, certainly, it's fairly new knowledge for me. And there is in South Africa, there's high fences everywhere, but there's high fence and there's high fence. You know, some of these areas are ten, twenty thousand hectares. You know, so. Where do you draw the limit? When is big enough? Yeah, when, 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 when are they a limit? When is the fence then a limitation? Exactly, and and quite often, and more often than not, uh, in 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 South Africa in particular, and other African countries, it's not a case of trying to keep the animals in. It's just trying to protect them. It is putting a fence around a population of game that the person who owns them can plow money into protecting them to make sure they stay alive. And that's what the purpose is. It's not to make it easier for the person to hunt. Um, it, it really is part of the protection and management and, and anti-poaching. Of course, there are you know vast areas of um, concessions which are, are rented from the government, and that's a whole different management system. Um, the one that I've partaken in in particular was in the Caprivi Strip up in the north of Namibia, and that was concessions laid out by the government, which I believe now they were really, really big. Um, and I believe the last time I read, they've actually cut them down quite a lot smaller, which is causing a little bit of uh, a problem there in terms of the professional hunters taking out clients. But I don't know enough about it to comment too much on it. Um, but th- that system historically worked really well. So they essentially had what was uh, you know, public lands um, run by the government in concessions, but you rented them. And they gave a quota system. So they would do the surveys and they would say, right, okay, in this particular concession, you can short, shoot um, four male hippos and two females, whatever, I'm making the numbers up, yeah. um, for trophies. And there might be another couple which uh, you can't take anything out and they're just meat for the local community. But all of the meat from all of those have to go to local community as well, apart from, you know, you're, they're, they're quite happy if you take a couple of fillets to go and eat that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how those those system works. And I thought, and there are other systems like there was the campfire project in Zimbabwe when Zimbabwe was functioning correctly, which hasn't been for quite a few years, uh, and that worked on a similar sort of basis. And it it may it gave the local communities a vested interest in looking after their game because they knew that they were going to get something out of it. They knew they were going to be employed. They knew that they were going to get uh, meat out of it. They knew that they were basically going to be looked after. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which then you, those sorry those three points there would work here in New Zealand. Yeah, it would do. Yeah, like you know you don't have to be. I think it's true know, anywhere. In the yeah, world. you know what I mean. Like yeah. we don't have to think oh, we're supplying meat to the villages. No. Like it's income, it's resource to the government or, or the the community. Like you know, like that, that, those could, in a form, be manipulated to suit New Zealand. Yeah, the the principles are basically yep. the same. You know, so we we had there um, up in the Caprivi, you had to. You had to employ a game scout. So they had a local game scout, and his job was basically to make sure that the professional hunters and the clients abided by the rules. But it was also part of uh, employment generation. I mean, you would you would hope 
that people, the professionals like that, are going to abide by the rules. So it was part of employment generation, but it was smart. You know, there, w- there was a job. His, the the game scout's job was to look after that when there was nobody in, and then he kind of accompanied. He wasn't always like on your shoulder, but he was, you know, there yeah, in the vicinity. And he also gave you local knowledge because a lot of the the PHs don't live there. You know, they'll 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 move in and move out, and certainly the clients have never been there before. So it's just to give you the local knowledge. So that was a form of employment and then he was he would be the guy that would know okay well what we need to do is we need to take this hippo that's been uh, shot here to this village mm-hmm. because the other one got it last time yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and in that way it's a sharing of resources but it means that the resources which is the wildlife has an incredible value to both the country and the local people uh, to the extent that they want to protect it um, so, yeah, that was one of my sort of great takeaways from my kind of experiences in Africa. On the other side of it, you know, they've it's like where to start with the bad stuff that needs to be tackled. Some of it's petering off. One, one of the things which I thought was particularly distasteful in the last couple of years, and I think we talked about a little bit on a podcast with Deerfund when, when I was over there last year, was they had this color variation craze where they were picking out, um, say, springbuck or blessbuck or whatever it was. They had even wildebeest that had different colors, like copper ones and white ones. And they were breeding all these color variations because they were worth more to people to come and hunt them. And you get down a whole sticky rabbit hole yeah. when you start looking at this issue. So you had this, this artificial market that was created by game breeders for these weird animals that shouldn't exist by strategically breeding them just like we do with yep. just like we do have done historically with cattle for particular yep. traits it's exactly yep. the same thing so that somebody can come and hunt a white one because they've shot a normal colored one before you know i think that was a real stain on the some of the great successes the great work. Yeah, of, yeah. of south african um, game management because yeah. they and I don't have these numbers on the top of my head, but if you were to look at the populations from 50 years ago to now to game in South Africa, it's crazy. You're like, how the hell did they go from that to that? Well, they went from this tiny number to the colossal number they've got now because game has an incredible value yeah, in South Africa. Yeah. And a lot of that is because it's hunted. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the uh, no, bottom I, I, I use that term often. Like the unfortunate reality is as humans, until it has a value, we don't really care about it. No. And it was, that happened right from when we were children and your sibling picked up a car and you were like, I want that car. <laughs> you right, only yeah. wanted it because he had it. Yeah. Like you it's had very no basic thought about thing. that, yeah. you know, and then, you know, and that, that just to me scales right up to, um, you know, and it, it's, it's with anything like, you know, if, if, as humans, we put a value on it, then we care about it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that might be there's there's negatives in that. Well, that, yeah. that's a human race negative, not a not a hunting or no, a it's not not like particularly. It's, and the yeah. and the, the color variation was was an example of that. We had put a value on it. Well, I think it was a slightly distorted industry, which actually is dying out now. Um, thankfully, it didn't last that long. The game breeders saw a niche. There were, you know, very, normally a very stereotype of hunter who had killed everything else on our planet probably was the kind of guy that you and i wouldn't particularly want to associate with probably was just a pure trophy collector who really didn't give a shit about the game but wants stuff on the walls you know i'm not denying that those people don't exist they yep. do exist yep. well and i think i think just with that like 
at, at some point this has to become about a business. Like it's it's money generating and it's income and it's ex, it's expenditure. Yeah. And in, in regardless of the business, there's always a small demographic that are trying to bring in something new, the new, the well, the health. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and that's, and what that's happened. happened in hunting. And that is exactly yeah. what happened. They were trying to find a new angle. And so they created all these, these new color variations. But I think my understanding of what ended up happening happening is the market got carried away. They carried on generating all these different colors of game, which was worth an absolute fortune. And then they realized, actually, most people don't want to hunt these weird animals because it's not normal. And so they ended up not being able to get rid of them. There was the, the few small number of people who were paying big money to come and kill them. Um, but I think you tr- morally, you try and justify that. Like, yeah. try, and, try and explain to a non-hunting, yeah, we created all these different colors of animals so we can go kill them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's well, just it's distasteful, weird, but right? it's distasteful to me as a hunter. Yeah, and, and it's like, distasteful it's not, to me. It's not a all the hunters agree with that. Yeah. Like, so that's the right. one of the bad sides yeah. of it. And then uh, I'm not going to get into this because it, it's so complicated. But the the the, uh, the canned lion hunting scenario in Africa, you know, was is another area which it's not black and white, but you know, is another area that gave it bad names. Uh, but just to, to to finish my answer to your question in in Scotland. You know, I'd say from what I've seen around the world, I think we do a fairly good, and I'm not just saying this because it's the place I happen to live, <laughs> yeah. um, but I think we do a, f- a fairly good job of managing mm-hmm. our game. You know, we don't have that much in terms of game species, mm-hmm. in ter- big game species. You know, we've got f- four deer species in Scotland. Um, I don't think there's any muntjac there yet. Sometimes everyone yeah, tells you I've one's gone over the border. Someone gets found. Yeah. <laughs> one gets found on dual carriageway. But yeah, uh, yeah we got f- four main species, predominantly roe deer, red deer, and a lot of the red deer are on private estates. So we don't have the vast, um, freely available public land access that you have. I'd say that our hunting is still very affordable. Mm. I would say that your hunting probably could do with actually, and I'd like to get into this. Uh, there being more, yeah, actually <laughs> being some more formal charging system so that you can plow more money into conservation mm-hmm. and the management of your game. That might be a way to do it because it's, it's fairly freely available right now. But yeah, in, in Scotland, I'd say that we do a, a pretty good job of it. And you know, a, lot of, um, a lot of credit has to go to the fact that most of that is done privately, you mm-hmm. know, because there's well, a lot of private land there and it's done on the whole very well. Yes, yeah. there's a couple of bad guys, and there are also some areas where you you might argue, well, um, you know, there are some estates that have basically removed all their deer, and they've only got grouse there now. Is that the right thing to do? You, you can have those debates, but I'd say if you look at the country as a whole, we have a, a fairly good balance and also a fairly good handle on what we have. We pretty much know what our populations are. Um, mm. Some organizations might disagree and they will say that we're murdering all the white hairs but equally you know we, this is a debate we've been having a lot recently with the a lot of the the estates will turn around and say well show us somewhere that's not a managed estate that has more hairs than us mm-hmm. and then we'll happily learn yeah yeah but no one can yeah. um so those yeah. are those little media biases yeah, and, I, I, and I places think, with different agendas i think scotland in particular like based on the work I've had to do to help to understand Scotland now with Ultimate OECD. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, um, you know, I I see that there's some massive strength in what you do, and like you touched on there, like I, again, I forget the figures. You you may know them offhand, but gamekeepers look after like two thirds of Scotland. It's pretty high. Like it's, I don't have the numbers, it's, but it's pretty high. Yeah, yeah like and and you know, I was just, it's like when you referred to privately cared for, like 
yeah, it's astonishing. And really, and and like you say, there's always people or organisations that are that can find faults, and there probably is always faults. That's you will that's, never remove you know what all I mean? faults. No. Yeah, but but you look at look at it as a whole. Like we're introduced, we we've upset the balance, and if people are doing their part to try and get the balance back, then you know I think we need to look at it a bit bit broader. But yeah. I, th- I think I think Scotland's. Scotland's doing a good job, yeah, and it's it's not done, but it's no, so it's, it's, it's not done. There's yeah. there's definitely of it. There's always stuff that you can do better, and uh, you know I think we we just need to be prepared to learn, and with a with a country like ours that has so much history and heritage, you know, because it's it's a very old country, it's sometimes quite hard to change ways of thinking and and also management processes because they've been so embedded and i think we just we do need to be a bit more open to learn from other people and also adjust those management processes maybe be uh more sympathetic to uh the way that we use the land uh and i i think that's going to come i what i see from the a younger generation of uh, head keepers that are starting to filter through which is just the the natural way of things as people start to retire is that they they have a, a deep care that goes far broader. They're, they're, a lot of them have a deeper care that goes far broader than the animals that we're hunting. Mm-hmm. And that is key. Um, I, I think it's it's key at home. I think maybe here you're, the key is let's look let's actually look after the animals that are being hunted possibly yeah. first. Yeah. But then well, but, but, just, but the but same we, is true. We need you've to got, start communicating you need to just start to see where it sits. But yeah. you've also got all the other stuff that doesn't get hunted. You've got your native species, which mm-hmm. I know is you know it's a big concern and Mm-hmm. An issue and I, I like you, I was. I saw I a Kia. It was it a Kia? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most likely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I th- was awesome. You know, I know that they're in some places particularly endangered, and mm-hmm. I had the privilege of seeing one up in the mountains. Yeah, like, awesome. I want that for New Zealand. You need you it. Know, as a hunter, I'm, I, I, yeah, Lane, I've already said this, but I, I'm by no means prepared to lose what New Zealand is mm. just so I can continue hunting. No. Yeah, so I, I think as New Zealanders and hunters, we should want the balance. That's That's what should be important to us all as, as Kiwis. And the challenge is going to be how are you going to... Oh, I, <laughs> how, yeah, do you, how do you change I don't that have forward. an answer. Yeah. I I have some, some, some suggestions for sure, yeah. but um, I don't have an answer. But that's... Hopefully I'll come to an answer mm-hmm. with the podcast and with the communication. I yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where it starts. And definitely, that's where it starts. I want to get on and ask you about uh, Ultimate OE. Uh, because I think that's well, it's particularly relevant because some of the guys, and this will all make sense to people soon. But some of the guys <laughs> that you're sending over are very close to where I live and where we spend a lot of time. But before, and just to kind of finish up on the the topic that we've been talking about right now, and uh, because it, we get asked about this and it gets brought up in uh, in the UK as sometimes held up as look at New Zealand dealing with their predators is the 1080 poisoning just mm-hmm. explain what that is so that people can understand because it's it's quite um, misunderstood i think outside of new zealand or maybe yeah so, the, so the issue i'll d- to describe the issue mm-hmm. the issue we really have is the the non-target kill with it you know like i think if, if the poison itself was laid just step back one one step which is why it's being why poison's being dropped in new zealand in the first place okay so <laughs> Sorry for the laughter, but pa- probably partially depends who you ask. Okay, yeah. um, which is true. For, yeah, I've, I've, I've yeah, noticed yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Sorry. So, <laughs> but but why is ten eighty laid? It is laid. What's the stance? To, What's the to stance knock with? back a population, and and typically a a, a 
a predatory rodent population. Yeah, so, okay. so opossums or rats or you know, it's, it's Which been are used all previously non, for rabbits. Years, you know, like there's and, and and wallaby and you know, like yeah, 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 non-native species. So they use that as a measure, uh, as a tool to eradicate a, a, a fairly large population quickly. Yep. Um, to to make to make an impact to then allow management. Okay. You know, and how do they do it? To, to like explain um, that process. Um, well, the, the 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 big issue, and where everyone hears about, it is, is it's aerial application. So it's, it's dropped out of a helicopter. Yep. So you hear the comments that it is raining green or it is raining poison, um, mm. and that's that's Kiwi term for basically applica- applicating the 1080. From the air out of a helicopter. Yeah, um, and, and and you know there's a lot of stigma that comes with that. Like it's, you know, like it, it gets found in waterways or it kills people's domestic pets or. Oh, that happens. Oh, it happens. Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, but then, but then, you know, and I, I am a hunter, and I have dogs. You know, um, they they the, the the companies that are laying this had to follow protocol. Like so, there's information in newspapers or there's signage on areas and stuff and whether or not that always happens again it, it probably falls into that there's there is poor practitioners and, and poor practices in part thereof but as a as a whole there is enough information out there that you shouldn't have your dog in there you know or, or what have you but then then there is reported incidents of poison being found in waterways um, or or town water supplies, oh, right. and and I say reported because I myself don't know firsthand that that was the truth, but it was reported that way, um, and and so that obviously brings about a, a big issue, and, and and I guess as hunters and and people that actually like like animals like 1080s, it's a poison and it's a slow death, um, it's not it's not perfect. Like and and then when you combine that with non-target kills, so when they poison, it's like a so, lot of so, secondary killing. So right? when they ten eighty an area for possums, yeah, and a lot of deer die, all the deer hunters, I disgusted by that, and and the non-hunters, like you know, there's a lot of untargeted kill there, right? So 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 that's where the the ban ten eighty or the the if you see K ten eighty comes about, like it's, there's a, there's an anger because against it's quite and it's indiscriminate. Yeah, yeah, it well, is. It can be, but well, it can be. Yeah, sorry, so it can be because I I myself sit on the board, like on on a board functional within Curran. Like I sit there, balanced between. Can I be on this board? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's a, it's a strange board to be on, but um, it I I don't like. 1080. I don't like the 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 non-targeted kills or the secondary kills, but I don't have a better solution. So that that therefore I I like I sort of expect of most people I go to those that are educated and I would like to think those that are still applying this or giving the okay have the education to know that there is a benefit for this. And I did a podcast with Stefan Hope a couple of weeks ago. And he comes from a conservation background, and his the way he his his delivery when we talked about 1080 is he he said to me and it resonated with me a lot and it stuck with me and I 
going to repeat it right now. But he basically, he referred to 1080 as being our chemotherapy. It's not perfect. Nobody likes it. But if it can put New Zealand in a holding pattern where we can keep some native animals for a said period of time until we find a better solution, perhaps it's the right thing. Fair enough. And it's, that's, I was a bit like, oh, shit, that's, yeah. that's hit the spot. You know, like, didn't make, didn't make it any happier if I saw animals dying from it. Didn't, like, it doesn't appease that. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, it put a balance in there. And, yeah. and I know one of the big arguments we get is, like, why 1080 possums when we could make an industry and have guys go in there and trap them and pluck them That's and so hard. forth? It's hard and you can't get the guys. Yeah, Like there, there is guys in New Zealand that do it yeah. and, are, and are still in that frame, you know, and they're still doing it, but not not in a population big enough to actually have that industry. Mm. You know, and I know guys... And, and tackle all the possums. Yeah, and I, but I know guys in that sector... And the, the biggest thing that holds them back is they can't get good enough guys. And they're paying wages and they're getting holiday pay and they're getting sick days. And then we believe that there's enough guys out there that will do it self-employed without the holidays, without sick yeah, like, yeah. It's like, come on. Like, it is one thing to say that, yeah, I'll go up in that gully and I'll get all those possums and I'll do that and I'll spend 60 days in the, in the bush. you know. And it does happen. I know guys that do it firsthand. But it doesn't happen enough. Yeah. You know, so to that, tackle the problem. So that, yeah, to... to 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 manage the popul the the problem you know or get it back into a a, um, a number that's viable you know type thing so so something mass has to be done in some areas like I've touched on it for me it, it wouldn't it's be a, 1080 in a perfect world but it is 1080 yeah in, it's, it's hard know. to make it sit comfortably yeah especially in when I think pretty much the rest of the world has moved away from oh, it. Like we ba- we used to it. use poison yeah. in the UK yep. all the time. Yep. It used to be part of the tool set for a gamekeeper mm-hmm. in 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 um, you know days gone by. And to, even to, to some extent, we obviously we, we still use rat poison mm-hmm. around households. Yeah, and um, well, that's pretty much about it. Really. <laughs> yeah, like, but, 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 but we, it was, we do, it was like, common practice. I don't know, and and that's why. But not anymore. For this, this is my version of T eighty because you know when you put the education around it, like we use, and I'm unsure of the figures, but I think we use like seventy percent of the world's ten eighty. When, when, yeah. when you put the scale of New Zealand yeah. against the world, it's like yeah. there's some proportions that's been thrown apart there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then we've also got a lot of land for our size of us that is uh, uninhabited. Uh, uninhabited, yeah. or the access is difficult. Not, not impossible, terrain, but difficult, terrain, difficult, yeah. you know, and difficult to work in. You know, it's one thing to say you can get to that peak by going up that ridge, but then what about every possum that's not living on that ridge or rat or, you know what I mean? Like it's, you've essentially got to grid search that country, not, mm. not just climate, you know? Um, yeah, I, I can, I, I can, it's, un- it's I can understand thing. that balance. Um, the, the one thing that I heard uh, is in terms of a, a stance and plan for the government is this idea of being predator-free by 20, 2050, is it? 2025? 2050? They have set a date. They have multiple dates. Yeah, yeah. But that, to me, seems... It seems stupid because uh, I don't see how it's physically impossible. Uh, from my mind, and looking at the country, it looks physically impossible to remove all the predators by that date. Mm-hmm. So my concern is that in the attempt to do something which is not possible... That a lot of other games gonna uh, and wildlife is gonna suffer in the mm-hmm. meantime. Yeah. I so mean, how are you gonna remove all the rats? I mean, we've been trying to remove all rats <laughs> in cities in the UK since the beginning of time. Yeah. Well, and it's partly <laughs> like, and but again, that comes back that that 
that whole concept, like it comes back to have we missed the opportunity to learn from other countries? Yeah. Like have we even like you know like like you guys have been doing it for years? There's yeah. other countries like, and yeah, can we? Like we have we, we have, can reduce had, population, but we've had successes on islands off New Zealand. So we have made on islands smaller, off New Zealand. Yeah, and very we, much we so. have too. We've removed hedgehogs. Yeah, and all yeah. Sorts so of stuff. so yeah. we we have some success, and we are you know arguably there's people within New Zealand that are leaders in that field. You know, like so. Again, another one of the guys I catch up with on a podcast that's now in Canada. He's he's gone over to Canada as a New Zealand specialist to remove blacktail oh, really? from particular areas in Canada, which is a whole other podcast. Yeah. But you know, so th- so we are specialists in that, and I guess part of that is a bit of Kiwi pride. Like we like to think that we can do it, and I hundred percent get what you're saying. But do we? Is it is it just a is it just a wording thing? Like in terms of, instead of saying let's be predator free at X date, let's do all we can to have the lowest predator number at X amount of date, and then would that sit better with you? Well, it would sit better with me, but my concern is what do they believe? Because if they're truly trying to make it predator free, then where, where does the where's the limit? Mm-hmm. And if it is, mm-hmm. and, and and it seems to be ten eighty is is one of predator? Like, yeah. like they're not a predator as such, but they're a pest. They're a pest, the, 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 the predator free though is not referring to them though, is it? No, 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 it's not, like but I like, yeah. sorry, that was yeah. looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, 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 I see yeah. what you mean. But yeah, I'm just saying that my, my concern is that if, if that truly is what they believe, that they can do it, then where will they stop? And if they are trying desperately to achieve this, what I believe to be an impossible goal, then there is going to be a lot of other things that suffer. And I don't know whether that is the correct balance. Uh, but this is me just looking. You yeah, know, yeah, I don't have I don't have a depth of knowledge in that. This is just my yeah. my and opinion I, I, I from don't the limit, an, limited I, stuff that I've learned. I, I myself, I don't have an education around 1080. Yeah. I have what I've read and, and what I understand yeah. and what I've had shared with me. But there's going to be smarter people than us listening to this podcast, and it, yeah. now it's going to make them think. So that's yeah. why we're yeah, doing yeah, this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I, I hope if any of those particular people are sitting in New Zealand and they would like to do a podcast, but it's one of the podcasts I want. Yeah, you know, I want to, I want to hear about from from the science and from the education and from the evidential stuff. Yeah, you know, because because a lot of what I say and what comes from hunters isn't really evidential. Yeah, or, you know, or even it's based. It's a lot of it will be emotional. Kind of emotional. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it, yeah. and we need to be careful that we balance that. It's understandable. Yeah. So yeah, summary: I don't like ten eighty. I don't have a better solution for ten eighty. Hmm. Um. But ultimately, yeah. we need management of some description. Yeah, there needs yeah. to be management. And I'm happy with that. So, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, now, moving on to uh, Ultimate OE, which you did have your jumper on earlier, and I saw the hat in. Mm-hmm. And we, we've talked a little bit about it. And to be fair, until I spoke to Matt, your business partner, mm-hmm. I – no, actually, I'm trying to think how this chain of events went. I had a, a phone call from one of, the, one of your contacts over in Scotland – um, who you're doing some some work with there and sending some guys over some of your trainees, uh, and that's how I first found out about you guys. And then I heard from your business partner Matt, who mm-hmm. is over in Canada, about Ultimate OE. Uh, what a great concept! Ex- explain this to our listeners because uh, I- I'm sure there's going to be people in Scotland thinking, "Shit, I wish there was something <laughs> like that there so that I could come to New Zealand yeah, or go yeah, to Canada yeah, yeah. or something." So explain it because it's awesome. So I don't. I'm not sure. If the terminology is right for, for, for outside New Zealand, I'll, but a, I'll a help. Gap Year program. Yeah, yeah it would be so. Similar, yeah. So the Gap Year is is a is a Kiwi icon. We've always travelled post school or tertiary education or apprenticeship type thing. Like yeah. we sort of get to that point of our life where we have to go and explore. And 
Matthew and myself, we had experience in at the time was just the Canadian industry. Well, because you did some, some other international, yeah, yeah, some other international experiences, but largely it was Canadian based. And we we, I guess through a a lucky chain of events that weren't planned by any part, our paths crossed, um, and had similar ideas, um, but more importantly had similar ambitions or goals. Like, like the ideas were have sort of come about from what we wanted to achieve. Yeah. So so in short, so what we what we did was we created a gap year opportunity that had two uh, I, I guess two resonating factors for us. And one was we wanted to get rural people overseas and and we felt that was a need because rural New Zealanders didn't really have that sort of th- like they th- there was always availability but when I, I grew up in a rural town and I was you know a young fellow my my gap year opportunity was to pour pints or make beds yeah you know and it didn't sit with me um and rural people in New Zealand and I, I guess I'm bracketing some people are, are not going to like what I say like rural people in New Zealand stay very rural you know right through and I wanted to sort of change that and I know travel and adventure and stuff is is it lays down the pathway for, for personal change, I, I believe. And I wanted to do that. And, and hunting was a passion of mine. And I knew it was a passion of a lot of Kiwis. So I wanted I wanted hunting to be the basis that encouraged travel and opportunity and learning and stuff like that. So that was one of the, the reasons we started Otterway. And the other, and it's sort of a little bit bigger picture, was we wanted to educate New Zealand hunters passively. And by that, you know, sharing them by sharing their their them having their own experiences in Canada allowed them to learn a whole different a, model a, and system, a massively different model, and like management, resourcefulness, animal selection, aging, judging, looking at animals. Like we grow up here, you, the first day you see, you can shoot. There's no doesn't have to be said sex, said age. You just shoot that thing. Like and we basically every hunter grows up that way. Like I started that way. Like get them on the truck, yeah. you know. And that's just the, and, the culture. Yeah. Yeah, but then so you get this time, and it's forced because it's you know it's law, you know. But they fall into this and they learn so much, and they bring that back to New Zealand. And and I know I look at my circle of friends. They they've all learned a little bit from me. And so, therefore, when I think, you know, we've had an excess of 250 travellers now spread out over New Zealand. Soon and all out, their, right? their little group of five or six yeah. close friends that it hunt. Up. You know, yeah. And and they're all now looking at animals a little bit longer and, and selecting older animals or, and taking or pride filming in yeah. and taking photos. And, and so that that was the other reason. So, yeah, so that was why we started Automatically. The, the result is what we do is we actually – have a, a gap year that we send people over to work within the hunting industries and we do a couple of other industries but for this we'll refer to the hunting um, and in Canada it's assistant guides and guides um, or, or wranglers depending on definition but wrangler, assistant guide or guide um, and in Scotland they go over as gillies and what what they get with the Automate OE is we guarantee they're actively involved in the hunting 
So it's not they're not there just to cut the firewood and cook the dinners. Like these guys are they actually might have to do some of it. Well, it's it's yeah. part of the role. It yeah. is part of the role. And they they get that. And how they how they get a full understanding of what the role is is we run a training course here in New Zealand. So they they're not expert when they leave here. It's not a it's not a educational pathway, but it's a it's sharing a skill set. So for the likes of Canada that we do the Canadian firearms license. So they're safe in that respect, and so is their outfitter. They do Red Cross first aid. They ride horses. They pack horses with the sawbuck, you know, pack saddles that they'll be using. Yeah. They learn the knots. They learn predatory defense stuff. They client interaction stuff. Which, which one of your judge. guys needed, right? One, one guy had a close shave, so we say, sorry about that, Ben. It was only a close shave. You, you walked away from I, I was referring yeah. to the predators of <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. defense stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and then with, for the Scottish one, there's a lot of tradition and a lot of history and a lot of why they do the management and a lot of, um, you know, you have a great best practices guide, mm. you know, so, you know, there's, we, we, you know, use that kind of content to you share You use the best practices guide for Scotland? We have, mm. You're using we've, some of we've it. We've took yeah. the basis of it and, yeah. and added it to, to sort of manipulate how it would best suit with a Kiwi. I'll have to send you – we've just uh, we've just released all the new best practice guide videos for Gralicking. We've just done them all. So I'll send them perfect. to you perfect. for your next Yeah, no, that'll be perfect. Well, well and because and, 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 we run the first course this year um, and we, we had a very honest feedback from the guides because we want to make it better. Like we're yeah. always trying to make and evolve it, it better. Yeah, yeah. So – you know, this year we had, um, and as we do with the Canadian guys, they all had a full body goat that they had to do. They had to skin that right out and be part of that. Next how did, year, how did you get? Oh, you mean? <laughs> well, my, you got, my, you my good friend goat. Ryan, yeah. he shot all the goats. Um, thanks not, a Ryan. Mount, not a mountain, not a mountain. No, not a mountain goat. How the hell did no. you get some mountain so, goats um, for full body? So, but next year we've we've already got, we've arranged the chiller and we're actually going to have full carcass deer so we can actually tie the stags up, load them onto my horse so that they get the full pack saddle understanding and the larder work. Okay. Yeah, because so, it'll be like a wee bit different how you do it here. Yeah, and, then, and, and so it's about finding – it's about us finding what really makes it better for them in Scotland Yeah, and or Canada, like depending on what it is. So they're always sort of evolving. We get a lot of feedback from our estates or our outfitters and we're just trying to, you know, always get that right and, you know, it's – Scotland's new. It's our first year there, uh, but we hope that it, it follows the same success as Canada. And like I said, we've had 250 travellers, and you know the outfitters can't get enough of it. And that's good. Know. So it works yeah. both ways. The people who are going get a lot out of it, and the 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 outfitters or oh, or estates the experiences being that Scotland. the guys and guys and girls um, are having or in the environment of is massive, and it'll shape them for the rest of their lives at that age. Oh, 100 percent. Just judging by my own experience, and it does. It, and and it's it's a funny thing because so many of these people now they come and they train and they go away and it might be two or three years later that they i actually get an email or a phone call from them thanking me oh really yeah and then that's a byproduct i never yeah. really had a value for that when i started it mm. but yeah, now it'll, it's, it'll mean a lot it's sort you. of become the emotional attachment yeah. to what i've got to old one like i when people actually thank me for where they've headed in their life or um what they learned and it may not have been hunting related but it was hunting that got them there and i think that's what's important that's i sort of hold on to that like you know they traveled because they wanted to hunt in Canada or be part of hunting in Canada from that they met their wife and they're now married and they've got children over there or they they met a client that held, had a ranch in America and now they're number one on that ranch and you know there's so many different stories and they end up in completely unrelated paths but it did start but it from a passion them. of hunting and I, th- I, th- I always say to people that 
if you want to be involved in cool stuff and create opportunity for yourselves, you just have to put yourself out there. And it might not be your reason for getting out of your little town or your house and just getting out in the big world. Start meeting people yep. and start experiencing life. Yep. Put yourself uncomfortable. Here's, here's Curran the mumbler doing a podcast. <laughs> you'll never know where it'll go. No, you and don't, the, you, Some of no. the best things you will ever do in your life will be unplanned. A lot of the best things and the best experiences and stories that I can now tell were unplanned. Yeah. Like uh, there wasn't a strategy necessarily yeah. that said, like, "I need to, I need this experience," because you can't. Because the best ones yeah, are I not know. like that. I have found now that I'm getting a little bit older that <laughs> from the 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 bulk period of when I was living that way, I actually learned that. Like I learned that skill just to go with it. Yeah. And now I'm compared to a, a younger version current that had very stringent this is what it'll be this is what I'll achieve this is how we'll do it this is who and how I need to know now it's just organic like yeah, three weeks ago I hadn't talked to you no now no. we've done a couple of days hunting we're doing yeah. a podcast we're driving home tomorrow you're going to meet my wife and kid like you know like it's awesome yeah. that's to me that stuff matters way more there's so much more learning in that. and it, again it came from hunting because that's why we're here like it yeah, yeah, that's you know, the connection. You know, that yeah. brings a lot of people together. Um, and I, I, just, I just think it's, yeah. It, it's, it's very hard to, it was very hard for me uh, as a youngster. Like, I left school at 16 and went to university. And it took me quite a long time to try and break myself free of this. This is the only route that I can take. And because I've this is where I've set my my goal, I have to rigidly Your trajectory stick to is there. Yeah, that is it, and <laughs> nothing can let me break away from that. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, it took a lot of uh, circumstances and just being distraught with not particularly enjoying what I was doing that allow me to kind of break free and take the rather complex path that I've ended up taking to to where I am today. But it was a, as a result. It may have been very different, or it may have come a lot sooner, if I'd been willing to kind of just, just let free a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's what I say to, you know, when I, when I because I obviously have a lot of people ring me and just talk to me about it. You know, like, is it for them? Is it not? And we have a we have a we actually do a conference call and video each other. Yeah. And, you know, because I, I think it's important that I see their emotion and they see mine. I just for whatever reason that's my thing. And, uh, and we just talk about it. And it's not right for everybody. But for the person that's just looking for that something and it sits with them, it's a game changer. And it may not appear that way instantly. Like everybody sort of values things differently. But yeah. I can guarantee Sometimes it takes at some time point, to appreciate yeah, yeah, I know I know from 250 travelers or 250 plus travelers, at some point, every one of those 250 travelers will see value in what they've done. You know, and I, I know that. Do you think that um, youngsters of the sort of school age these days are, at least that makes me sound bloody old. <laughs> no, but even actually, even when I was at school 15, 15 years ago, um, do you think that the way that, uh, and this might be different here in New Zealand, granted, to the way it is back home, but do you think that we've created an educa- educational system where it makes students leaving school trying to work out what the hell they're going to do with their lives feel that they're kind of like restricted yeah definitely 100 percent. like i probably wasn't that far that way but my 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 
generation. <laughs> Jeepers, that makes me sound even older. Um, but you was, are older was than more, me. So. <laughs> was more, if you weren't in university, you hadn't done it. That's kind of how mine was. Yeah. And then, yeah, you'd and then, if you didn't and then it. I think it's gone away from that a little bit. It's mm. not so much you've got to be in university because I think the figures show that that isn't always a great option. But yeah. now it's a little more, if you're unsure, like it's like, hang on. And I, I see it and I sort of see a lot of the, a lot of my young guys that have traveled, their parents have traveled. And like it's actually generational and they, they, they probably share and they, they follow on from that, if you know what I mean. And when I say I'm going to visit schools, I might visit one school and go and see a career advisor and they're like, we don't, don't really see value in that and it's not really what we do. And then I'll go to another one and like, yes, I love to share every opportunity I can with every student and I'll just, you know, how long do you want? When do you want to do it? Yeah. And, you know, and I just think, oh, that was a that's rare great. career advisor no, yeah, for like, when I was But that's school. great. But then I'm, when I sit and think about it and the emotion comes in, I'm like, what about the poor one kid at that school yeah. that it might have been perfect for or something else might have been perfect, not necessarily Ultimate OE, but something else might have been perfect for and they never even got a look in. No. But that was That's, the my brother and I have talked about this before, but that was one of the issues at my school, and my school would have been pretty representative of most of them around the country, is that our careers advisors were frankly useless, yeah. because they they actually sadly had actually not experienced anything, yeah. and that's just a sad reality. That was just yeah. that was just the fact. Yeah, of well, my I, I see it firsthand so, over multitude yeah. of schools. And so, how are they going to say, well, actually, maybe you should think about that when all they have had done in this particular instance is live in the the local area pretty mm. much go from an educational, educational pathway yeah educational system school. back into the educational yeah. system where's the world experience and it, it didn't exist in in our case and i found that incredibly frustrating like as i was going through university i was thinking why couldn't have someone just told me that there yeah. were other options yeah well i've i well matthew and myself have spent a little bit of time and effort and money over the last couple of years I guess trying to follow our own entrepreneurial spirit in a rough in terms of personal learning and business learning and development and stuff like that. And one thing that has resonated with me is, and this is way off hunting topic, but I've recently become a dad, and I already know that I want to encourage entrepreneurial stuff with my daughter yeah. in small forms. But I, I like it's I'm happy if she goes down a formal path. But I would love to if she just decides that she wants to do her own thing or go head away in this direction. I'm like, I that would love that. Yeah, yeah. Happily support it and yeah. embrace it. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it's been a great podcast. Uh, the, the families are coming back to the <laughs> yeah, house. Yeah, they're right all coming now. back. So I think now. I think that's a good opportunity for us to to wrap up. We might very well do a little bit in the car tomorrow. We'll give it a go. Uh, we've got like five hours to drive yeah, back yeah, up the country. Five hours of quality time. Um, but no, it's been it's been great having having this chat. Now, I'm sure a lot of people will have. Uh, I think there was a lot of takeaways from this, just in life in yeah. general, not just hunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was across the board. Just to reinforce, if anybody wants to find out about Ultimate OE, how mm. do they how do they do it? Apart from um, so our website's probably the best point um so ultimateoe.co.nz um and follow us podcast the educated hunter great yep nice and simple all right thanks very much Karen. no thank you brian pleasure thanks for listening to the show join us again in two weeks time where i think like byron said in the start of the show it will be jenna that's the plan at the that's moment, the plan right? but plans sometimes change but uh, yeah right now it should be um if you want 
to listen to the show on other formats. Uh, Spotify is now one of the biggest places to consume podcasts. It's creeping up there. Uh, it's also on SoundCloud. Uh, we actually saw another one today. What was it called? Cast. Cast Box or something? I'm sure it's something like that. Pod Hub, was it? Pod Hub. I don't <laughs> know. There's so many There's so many of them out there. We are on nearly all of them. And we look, we'd never heard of it before. We looked it we up looked and we were up, actually we, on it. We so I don't quite know how that happened, but... Um, but our point is, is that we're on loads of different podcasting platforms and some might be better than others. So just check it out, find what works for you. And if you're having an issue with the show or you want to find a better way to consume it, just send us a message because it, we haven't actually had one for quite a few months. But in the early start of when we first started doing the show, we got quite a number of messages, people saying, can you put it on this for me? Because it's the way I consume yeah. con- podcasts and we were able to do it. Mm. Uh, so if you are in that position where I really wish I had it on my, this podcasting app that I use, then uh, let us know and then we can sort it out. We are on YouTube, although I'm not quite sure why anybody would listen to a podcast on YouTube because most people do it while they're doing something else, and yeah. it's quite hard to do that. Some, I know some people just listen on YouTube because they might be on, the computer. De- on yeah. their worktop desk. So we are there. Yeah. Um, there's nothing to see for the vast majority of them. That will change in the future, uh, but we are there if you want to listen on YouTube as well. If you want to get in contact with the show, it is podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. We are on all of the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, I think that's all of them, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the main ones. The, the I think bit, we do have a Twitter, but we there is a Twitter. It. If anybody messages us on, on Twitter, Twitter and wonders why we're so rude and don't reply, we, we, we look at it once every six months. Yeah. So uh, yeah, if you're wondering why, then uh, that's why because we don't. It's not enough time in the day. We'd rather be out fishing or hunting than looking at Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. Join us again in two weeks' time. 